This podcast is for the brave hearts, the black sheep, the rebels. If you're willing to face your fears and optimize your time on this planet, you are among friends. This is the Aaron Evans Podcast. Hello and welcome. From a young age, I was enraptured by sport. I loved to play it and to watch it. What I love the most about athletics is the grit, resilience, mental toughness that is required of an athlete to continue to push themselves beyond what they thought was possible. My next guest is an Ontario-born ski cross athlete who started as an alpine racer. In 2020, he won his first World Cup in France. He has worked his way through injuries and the normal turbulence of being human. And I am so excited to have Chris Mahler today. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hello, thank you. Wow, quite an intro. You've done quite quite a bit of homework. I was up all night. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, that's cool. So Chris, tell me what drives you. What drives me? Um pretty simple. It's basically to improve on the day before. And what do you mean by that? And how do you track it? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of different metrics that I track it. So obviously with sport, it might be a little bit easier um, with regards to the metrics that we have available. You know, there's the podium, there's the one, two, three that we look at on race day. So that's a pretty big metric, obviously. Um, In my off season, uh, I'm training quite a bit. So, you know, hitting those PRs, those personal bests, um, as well as not hitting those PRs, I think, you know, you're going to have some ups and downs. And I guess the biggest thing is understanding that that progression, that constant desire to get better every day is not a linear graph. Um, there's going to be ups and downs. And I guess it's, it's weathering it from all angles, not just the physical, but also the mental, mm-hmm. which kind of it gives me a challenge. And I think that's why I get up every day excited to, to take on that challenge. Cause I don't know necessarily what that day is going to look like tomorrow. You know, is it going to be a good day? Is it not going to be a good day? Am I going to feel like I'm ready to go? Am I not? So, um, yeah, it's having a plan, executing on that plan. Um, but then also being having the, or I guess having the ability to adapt when you need to. This is what I've always wondered about athletes. When you're at the start gate preparing to take a run, you are aware of the mental capacity and where you get stuck. So how do you train for that in the off season? You know, yeah, that's interesting. I guess as I progress um, into a more mature athlete, I definitely notice the, the importance that mindfulness and the mind game as we're talking about plays into um, my physical performance and like that metric of one, two, three, you know? So I, I've, I've played around with like, I guess a couple different tactics and, and funny enough, recently I've picked up like just like a basic mindfulness practice in the morning. Um, so just kind of centering myself, seeing how I feel and just, I guess what I've kind of learned and as I've tried so many different different styles of mindfulness or mental training it all kind of comes back to just like being present understanding what the mind is doing or at least being aware of it 
Um, so they all kind of touch on that in different ways. And it's just about finding the way that works best for you to enter that state of mind. Um, and just being clear, cause you know what, like at the top, like at the top of the race course, when I'm in that final heat, I'm, I'm scared shitless. Like I'm, I'm like, my heart is beating out of my chest. I have all I'm thinking about is, oh my God, if I crash, like everyone's going to see that, you know, what happens if this happens? And then as soon as, you know, I have that 10 second countdown, they say, okay, TV ready. That's what we hear when we go. And then everyone's handles on the gate. That's where the mind just totally goes to what's ahead of me. And for me, I just look ahead. What's the first thing I need to do out of that gate. And I just focus on that. And I'm just focusing on the breath and then focusing on that first feature. And then after that, I hope that that process that I've built throughout the years is just going to take me to the finish line and let me be first. <sighs> so it's, it's a very hectic world, but you need, yeah, definitely the ability to kind of hone in and focus. Well, when you need. A, a client of mine is in free skiing. And so she says that when she's at the start gate, she's thinking about the big jump and then the rail and then the other features. And she said, where I get tripped up is to only focus on the big jump and then only focus on the rail. So has that been a part of your maturing as an athlete? Yeah, like I said, I've tried like a bunch of, of different tactics and I've, and I've tried to figure out kind of like what works best for me. And I've talked to a bunch of different athletes and, and psychologists as well. And, and I used to honestly focus on similar things like the big features or even the finish line, there was a season where I was like, oh, I'm going to focus on the feeling that I want to have at the finish line. But the problem that I found with that was there was still a minute and a half worth of, of, of insane activity that I needed to, to do. And like, there's a reason why the top racers are in that heat going down for the finals for that gold medal. Right. So I learned that, you know, through talking to the different people, it was like, Hey, don't worry about all that. You've prepared, you're there for a reason. Like you're in that start gate because you've shown that you should be there. So what's the first thing, what's the thing that you need to focus your mind on to accomplish. So that's why I've kind of like totally brought it back up. I don't even worry about the rest of the course. And for me, it's kind of cool because I've done the course, you know, on that day, I've done it already four times if I make the finals. So I'm already skiing well. I know I can do the course. It's not about whether or not I can do it. I know I can. I'm confident enough that I can do it. It's just about executing on those features precisely. So yeah, I've backed it up to kind of what's right in front of me. If you see me in the start gate, I'm kind of like all over the place when the team, like, you know, when we're just kind of standing there. And then if you kind of really watch me for like the 10 seconds right before we pull out of the gate, you can see that mind just like go. And it's like, I'm looking at that first bump. Oh. Like the snow crystals, like down to like the minute details, right? So. Oh, ultimate present moment experience. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, that's, I think that's why people love sport because it kind of, it almost forces the mind if you want to compete at that level into that state. Yeah. Explain to the listener ski cross. Ski, ski cross. Um, well, when I, when I always, when I try and explain to people that maybe aren't winter sport fans or anything like that, I, I always say, okay, well, have you seen uh, motocross? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, basically it's motocross on skis. So we have very similar features. The only difference is we start four guys at the top as a downhill course. Um, the gate drops, um, at the same time for everyone. And basically what happens is they say attention they press a big red button behind us 
and then it's random anywhere between zero and five seconds. So the guys are all loaded up. We're pulling against the gate. You'll see like some like shaking sometimes because guys are loaded for a long time. And then that gate will drop and then we'll all be out. There'll be a start section and it can be anywhere from 15 meters to like 60 meters sometimes, right? Uh, and that always changes. And that's kind of the part of the course that they try and uh, establish some kind of gap within the skiers because it's quite technical. The speeds aren't up yet, but to get over it quickly is quite difficult because sometimes, uh, let's say a divot or, or a slight roll is not even big enough for our skis, right? So you have to either jump it or yeah, do something. So then we get to the first turn and that's often you want to be in front. You're trying to establish presence through that start section so that you can be at that first turn first. Cause if I think the stats are something like if you make it to the first turn first, you have about an 80% chance of winning that round. Right. So pretty good. Uh, and then from there we go through banks. Uh, we go around negative turns, which is like basically the opposite version of a bank. Uh, so the hill's kind of falling away from you. And then we'll have rollers. Sometimes you'll be on the ground. Sometimes you, if there's like a pack of rollers of four, maybe you go double, double, triple, single. So that's stuff that we look at in inspection to kind of figure out what's going to be the fastest. But generally, if you can stay on the snow, it's always faster than being in the air because of wind speed on your bases and stuff like that. Um, and then we get in some big jumps. Uh, yeah, there's, they kind of throw anything at us. It's like this constant desire to like make these courses as crazy as possible. And you're just jockeying for position all the way down. You're drafting. It's tactical. It's kind of like NASCAR that way. Like you can't always, you don't always want to lead. Maybe there's wind on the course. So you're looking at all that. Um, and first one to the bottom or first two to the bottom, move on to the next round. Unless it's the finals, obviously. And then you get names one, two, three, four. Oh my gosh. I, what's wild to me must be when you're going up the chair or they're taking you up somehow and you're looking at the course and you're scouting it. Like what's my, what's my line? What's the quickest? And then also taking in the temperature of the snow, this, the wind, all those elements, like that is a lot to manage. How did you get into it? Into ski cross specifically? Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, so I, like you said, I grew up in Ontario skiing. That's kind of where I started my career. And I, and I definitely started in Alpine as most athletes do currently, um, in any of the downhill sports. Uh, but I actually had a coach, uh, Bebe Zorchek, and he, he's still currently a coach. Um, he's kind of a big name, uh, in the, in the ski community here in Eastern Canada, as well as Western actually. And his son, Nick Zorchek was actually on the Canadian team when I was going through. Um, bit of a sad story. Uh, he was, Bebe was with us coaching us in Whistler actually. And his son was racing on a world cup in Switzerland and he actually passed away. He crashed, uh, in a finish line. Uh, the, the course safety wasn't what it was now. And yeah, basically freak accidents and unfortunately didn't make it. So Bebe was still like super driven to provide like skiing and they actually created a foundation, uh, in memory of him, the NZ foundation. And they basically, they provide safety orientations, netting, and they, and they help with, yeah, basically safety around the sport. So, um, he was always, always a big advocate. He was, you know, even after his son passed away, he still tried to get us on the ski cross course as much as possible. Um, and I was always a kid that like, I would do my Alpine run. I do my, you know, my gates or whatever. And then I would go over the train park. I cut through the trees and go hit the jumps kind of thing. So I always loved airtime. 
or like super G training, you know, speed, speed training, it, there'd be a one little jump and I, I'd be the kid popping the jump instead of just like low flighting it and getting a fast time. So I guess the writing was on the wall. I never, I never, at that point, I just enjoyed ski cross. It was something super fun to do. It was basically an organized version of Chinese downhill with your friends. Um, and uh, I guess the long story is I went to university. I was on a volleyball scholarship at the time. I played volleyball for a year. I just missed skiing so much uh, that I actually called Bebe up after one year of university. And I was like, how do I get back into skiing? I want to get into ski cross. Who do I call? And he obviously had all the contacts. So he gave me the contact to the provincial coach at the time. He said, give him a call, see when the trouts are. And yeah, basically went to the trouts and the rest is history. And from a young age, so you were always athletic. Did you always know that you wanted to be a professional athlete? No, definitely not. Um, I, like my parents, they started skiing when they were like, maybe late 20s 30s kind of thing and they they just got us into skiing as a family activity because they didn't want to spend every weekend in a in an ice rink playing hockey um and no i just i just really enjoyed skiing and i enjoyed all kinds of sports but i guess yeah it just it slowly progressed and i've always kind of said that my dream grew with me so as i progressed so did my dream and i guess i saw those next steps or the ability to take those next steps. And it was like, oh, yeah, I want, I want to try. I want to try. So, yeah, that, that dream of becoming a professional, like, I think when I made that volleyball team, I was like, oh, cool. And then, yeah, I just, I knew at that point when I was away from skiing that I missed skiing. And, that, and I was like, no, I'm going I'm to make a go of this. I'm going to try and do it on my own. And so, yeah, it was, um, I think at that point was when I was like, decided, okay, I'm going to try and try and make this a profession. And that is the mentality of a 50 year old like that. That's a crazy <laughs> mindset for a kid to. I mean, you weren't a kid, you were in university, but to go so meta and be able to say like, OK, I need to take that step and that step and that step if I want to try with this dream. What has been the biggest mental obstacle while pursuing what you love? The, the biggest mental obstacle is is creating your own path, I think, for me. Um, like, with with anything that you do to an extreme, I find that, like, there's no, there's no handbook, right? Like, there's no one telling you this is how it's done. This is how it's been done before. So, like, just follow this and you'll get to where you want to be. Like, you're... As, an, as a professional athlete, you're aiming for something that's like never been done before. You're looking ahead to races that have never been won before. You know, there's new goals set out every year. And so I feel like, like yeah, that going against the grain and like not having necessarily a fallback or not feeling like you have a fallback kind of thing. Like you're just kind of like, I'm going for it. Like this is going to work out. I'm going to try and make it happen. And yeah, I was, I was super lucky just in terms of my upbringing. My parents definitely gave me that confidence. And I guess I remember specifically one race I, I fell and it was like this, it was, uh, it was a club series or <laughs> this was so funny. It was like such a pinnacle point in my life that I don't remember what race it was for, but that's the whole point was I fell on the race. It was, it, it just happened to be where my dad was gate judging at the time. And I just like keeled over and I just started crying. I don't know how old I was, maybe like 16, 17 years old. So I wasn't even that young. 
but like to me in, in that moment it felt like everything was done like it was like the last race of the season I, I didn't make it I wasn't gonna make the provincial team blah 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 and my dad just kind of came over to me and he was like son there's there's always gonna be another race like you have the skill sets you've done what everything you could it didn't work out today but it's you know what if you want to you can pick up and go tomorrow there's gonna be another race it might be next season it might be two years from now who knows but whatever your race is there's always gonna be another one you just have to get up and try again. So I guess that's where my confidence came from. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it everything I can today. doesn't work out. I'll try again tomorrow. You make me want to cry. It's <laughs> so beautiful. And that you need someone in your corner rooting for you. If, if 16 year old baby Chris hadn't have had his dad there, he might've thought this is over, but you had such a strong advocate being like, you're going to do something no one's done. And I think you can. Yeah. So tell us about your recent gold medal. Recent gold medal. Um, yeah, Nakiska. Um, last season, the only the only home race of the season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, freaked. I never thought I'd be winning a gold medal on home soil, like 40 minutes from my hometown. Um, all my friends and family there. I mean, yeah, it's it was special. I mean, I always like my first gold medal in France, like. I mean, a first gold isn't. It's going to be hard to top that. It it came very close, and it is, and it's special even more so than that one in different ways. So, um, yeah, that was that was an interesting an interesting day. I mean, it's honestly it is it's backed by a lot of a, a lot of emotion, like good and bad, because it led to actually not making the Olympic team, unfortunately, um, and it was the last qualifying race i thought i had a pretty good chance but the just the way the points worked out it didn't it didn't happen but um yeah it was like yeah even i guess like that's what's so interesting you know even with a race that works out so well sometimes it doesn't work out but i still like i just turned around i was like all right sweet you know what i didn't make i didn't make the olympic team it was definitely a goal i've been working towards it for four years six years you know whatever it was it didn't happen i could have you know i took my time i was pissed whatever the day or two that it was, actually, I ended up just going skiing, which is so funny. I just went free skiing with my, one of my best friends, um, in, uh, in Revelstoke and uh, it's just my happy place. And so I looked at it like an opportunity. I was like, all right, I'm going to use this like anger and this, uh, this, you know, not making the team this, um, to fuel the rest of my season, which I did. So yeah, it, it, it was a pinnacle. It was a turning point in that season. It was, it was amazing to win that race. Um, wouldn't trade it to the world. Uh, but it, it was, again, even in that, there was lots of learning, which was amazing. Well, the reason I knew you were a cool athlete was your partner was mentioning that you were traveling and you were flying somewhere for some competition and your car got broken into and somebody stole your computer and maybe your passport. And yeah. she said, you were cool as a cucumber. You were like, oh yeah, I just have to make sure I get to the embassy. And yeah, I've called insurance. And she from the other end was like, oh my God, are you going to be okay? Yeah. I, yeah. I guess I've always kind of been that way. Like people have always said, oh, you'd be a great firefighter or whatever, because in, in stressful situations, you seem to get more calm. And yeah, I guess I do. I just kind of like slow down and I'm like, all right, what are the steps I need to do to get out of this situation? And it, but to be honest, like, it's not like my internal brain, like it's, it's not like it's not freaking out. It, it's freaking out just like everyone else's would. I'm no different that way. 
but I feel like externally, I'm just like, okay, how can I, how can I take the steps to get through this? And there hasn't, I guess the thing is I'm waiting, maybe I'm waiting for this moment of want something that I haven't been able to conquer, but there hasn't been something I haven't been able to get, get over. There isn't a speed bump that I haven't hit that I'm like, all right. And I guess at the end, once you get over it, you look back and you're like, wow, now I'm even more well-equipped for whatever comes my way because there's something else I learned. So everything's an opportunity to learn. And usually the stuff that's shitty and that makes you freak out is the stuff that you can learn the most from. So I guess I've gone through enough of those processes. I've messed up enough times that I'm like, oh, well, it's actually a positive. You just kind of have to wait for the light at the end of the tunnel. Totally. And what you articulate right there is what so many spiritual teachers say that when you get fired up and angry, you found a place where you are not free. You know, if you're bothered by the external world or not getting gold, cool, you're not free yet. And so <clears throat> maybe you have a, like a, your amygdala doesn't fire like ours because what you're doing is very dangerous and high risk. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I mean, there's certain things don't get me going, but certain things do. So it's not like I don't have my own stuff to work on. You know, there's definitely aspects where it gets me fired up and I don't have, and maybe it's because I haven't been through enough of those experiences to understand what steps to take, you know? Mm -hmm. So those are things I'm working on. It's not like I'm perfect and I understand that, but I guess always coming back to that place of, yeah, am I willing to learn? Am I willing to grow? And then you just kind of go from there. Mm. And how do you optimize your physical performance before a race, for a race? Ooh, yeah, I mean, that's a big question um, with probably a big answer. But for me specifically, uh, I guess it kind of ties into your first question of what drives me, which is creating a plan and then executing on said plan. So for me, optimizing really goes big picture. It's not just about what I do, you know, the, app, the night before or the hour before my race. It's like, did I do everything I could to get to this point and feel as prepared as I could? So for me, it's like, okay, I look at my first, I look at my first race or whatever my goal is. So let's just take this season. For example, I want to win the crystal globe in the next four years. And I'm definitely setting my sights on this year. So a crystal globe means you either won the most races or you were the top athlete overall at the end of the season. Right? So to me, that's like, and to a lot of skiers, that's the, like the med, mega gold medal. Because not only did you show up on one day, you showed up every single day that you were asked to and you performed. And to me, that's kind of what keeps me, that's, as we talked about, that's what drives me, mm -hmm. is that constant desire to, to improve as well as perform on the day when you're expected to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in terms of optimizing, it really goes like, what's the big picture for me this year it's that crystal glow okay so that means i need to perform on every single race of the season so what's that look like moving back and i basically work back from there and that's a lot of you know physical preparation in terms of what i'm doing day to day um it's making sure the, <laughs> the boring stuff like getting enough sleep right now getting enough water right now like preparing the body to go through basically you know war with myself in terms of like you know putting myself through something that's it's never done before at that level so i put a plan in place that i think is going to get me there and that i 
I know that if I execute on, I'm going to feel confident on that first race that I can, that I can win the rest of the season. It's that reverse engineering. And you and I have had a debate before about the difference between performance-based and mastery. And, and you were saying, so performance is what, it's like a competition, I want to be the best, and, and mastery is like, I want to be the best me. And I can understand now why we were debating because you're in a performance-based world, but you're after mastery. Like you're not like sure you care about the competitors, but you just want to be the best Chris. So what you're saying is like what we can all learn from doesn't matter if we're skiing or parenting. It's all the same. Like, how do I be a better me than I was yesterday? Definitely. You had an injury a few seasons ago. And how did that change the way you trained and competed? <laughs> Which injury are you talking about? I've had a few injuries in the past <laughs> season. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I guess my injuries were all kind of linked together, interestingly enough. Um, it started with a blown shoulder. I was kind of on the up. I had, like, come on to the circuit. I was doing quite well as a rookie. Uh, and then it all ended very quickly as I blew my shoulder, dislocated it out for four hours, blah, 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 needed surgery. So that surgery and recovery took me about a year. Um, and then I got back onto the circuit, started relatively slow as things kind of sometimes do. Um, and then blew my knee. So opposite side of the body, right knee, blew it, ACL gone. Um, actually didn't know about it for a while. Uh, that's kind of the benefit and disadvantage of being strong in your, in your quads and hamstrings is sometimes you don't know when you blow a ligament. Um, and then ACL is an interesting one. So needed surgery on that. And as most years have gone through, it's at least nine months. And with that, generally, if you come back in nine months, you need a brace. And my biggest, I just really didn't want to race with a brace. I didn't want to have anything reminding me of like my bad knee. Like I wanted to get in the gate and be like, I'm good. Right. So that, again, that was like my optimizing mindset of how do I want to feel when I get into that next gate. Um, and then through the recovery, even before I got back on snow from the knee, I was doing a lot of upper body work because I couldn't do too much on the knee and I bulked up quite a bit. And then I actually got a blood clot in my right shoulder. Um, kind of a rare thing, but basically, because of the muscle mass, I had it closed off one of my veins, like when I was actually lifting, like when I was working out. And yeah, it took a while to find and, and I was like losing grip strength. And it was really weird. And I was getting like a low grade fever. Anyways, ended up finding out it was a blood clot. And then that put me back on my, on the knee as well, which actually in hindsight, it prolonged like my recovery with my knees So probably actually give my knee a little bit more time. Um, but they didn't want me to come back on blood thinners because that's what I was on at the time. So, uh, it gave me a little bit more time. So we're looking at a three year span, let's say maybe two and a half before I came back. So obviously a lot could have happened in that time, but I definitely, there wasn't a day where I was like, Oh no, I'm done. Like I just had, I guess cause I left, when I right before I blew that shoulder, I left like at such a high state. Like I was, you know, I made my first top ten. Like I was like, wow, this is so cool. And I just, I just never left that mindset all the way through those injuries. And it's not to say I didn't have bad days and like, you know, this sucks. Out, you know, boohoo me. But um, again, it was like create a plan, stick to the plan, 
and you'll get back there. And so I did that. Um, and I came back, uh, I came back and I, I did really, really well. I, I PB my first world cup back and then I won my first world cup the next day. <laughs> so yeah, crazy, crazy mindset. And like, I, I don't, a lot of people are like, wow, like what did you do to like get to that point of like one physical ability to win that and two mental. And I was, I guess, to be honest, I kind of had released myself of expectation. That was the biggest thing that I realized looking back. So it wasn't necessarily something that I built or a mindset that I had created, but it was more just like, okay, you put a lot of work in, you feel like you're ready to go. It's just, we have no idea what you're going to do. Like it was me talking to myself, you know, you're three years out of competition. Who knows where the rest of the field is? Like you think you're ready. Like let's, let's just go put on a show and see what you can do. And again, it was more about myself, not about proving myself to others. So yeah, I just, I started to have fun and it was, yeah, PV first world cup win. I was on the podium the next week. I think I was, I was second there. And then basically for the rest of that December lock, I was top 10. I had a leader bid at one point. So, you know, in the crystal globe running at that point. So yeah, crazy. And then COVID happened. I got sick and then didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Ups and downs, but yeah, lots of injuries. Um, and it, led to a good a good state of mind which is cool yeah i remember uh after my car accident and the the doctors were like well you won't weight bear on your hand and i was like absolutely not that's not even an option so chris you're you're tossing this uh gorgeous uh locks of hair rapunzel <laughs> tell me about your long hair this new my look. long hair why did, yeah why did i grow it well my partner, Kendra, she definitely loves it. So she was the catalyst for why I started to grow it. Um, she's a Cali lover and definitely likes the long locks. I had never grown my hair out, so I had no idea what it was going to entail. But um, after wearing a helmet for a long time, I started I started to lose a little hair up top. So I was like, well, I might as well grow it out before it falls out. That was kind of the, the joke that was kind of running at the start. Um, and... It kind of turned into a little bit of a statement piece for me. I wasn't having a great season uh, two, like I guess, you know, two seasons ago, kind of the end of COVID for a bunch of different reasons. I don't really have to get into it, but um, yeah, I just wasn't having a great season. I just wasn't feeling like myself. I kind of lost my mojo, if you will. Um, and so I kind of needed something and I just, it just felt kind of like, it was totally different. It wasn't who I was prior for like whatever, 25 years of my life. And I was like, you know what? It's kind of, it's kind of a little bit like badass, a little bit like don't care. Why not? Right. So it just kind of turned into that. And it, I don't know, it made people laugh. They thought it was kind of funny because I'd always had short hair. And so it was kind of a conversational piece and yeah, it's, I just kept it since then. And I don't know, I have no idea where it's going to go, but it's it's fun for now and it's kind of funny when the sh when the sh sun is shining and you see your shadow going over a star feature and the hair is flying behind you because i don't put it in a ponytail or anything it's just full mullet um what rituals do you have before you hop on your skis rituals yeah so it's kind of interesting i've watched i've talked to a lot of uh, mainly sports psychologists about this and like learning the importance about rituals and like again it's that ability to go from a like you know a mindset of everything to focusing on one thing um 
And the interesting thing about our sport is there's so many variables at play and there's so many external factors that could change your ability to create a ritual that it really has to be like very short. And my ritual is like, it's, it goes basically from the moment I click into my skis, I would say. So before that, I'm, I'm like, I can be talking about anything. Like if you were to be, t- if anyone was to be up at the start with me, like literally even a minute before the race, they'd be like, there's no way you're ready to do this. Like you seem out to lunch. And, but that's just, that's what works for me because if I focus too soon, I'm like, I started thinking about all the stuff that go wrong. So I guess my ritual is, yeah, as soon as, as soon as I click into my skis, I don't necessarily, again, I don't make it too specific because sometimes my coach is on my left. Sometimes my coach is on my right. So my left or right goes on first. Um, so that's, it's not even so specific, but the, the amount that I lift my leg up is the same. Um, how I like kick my toe into my, into my toe piece is the same. So like those little things that I know I can have control of. Uh, and the one thing that everyone sees, like if you watch me on TV, you'll see me kind of like put my hands on my head, kind of like, um, like antlers or something. And I'll click my poles together once or once over top, once below. And then that's when I'm ready to go. I love it. I could just imagine how your parents feel like you're up there. They're cute little boy that they probably still see as a five-year-old, like doing his little thing. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love it. And what is the best advice you've ever received? I, yeah, I mean, I guess I've kind of already stated it was that that advice from my dad, there's always going to be another race. Mm-hmm. And that's, it, it, again, as athletes, you might take that at face value and be like, wow, yeah, there is going to be another race. But for life, like, I feel like race could be a metaphor for anything, right? It's like, there's always going to be another day to do, do something great. There's always going to be, you know, another job. If you got fired from the last one, there's always, yeah, there's always something. There's always, it just depends on how you look at it. Yeah. You are above, you're beyond your years. <laughs> Who inspires you? Who inspires me? Um, you know, I don't, it's kind of fun. I don't have like, there's not like one athlete or one person. I, I'm constantly, I love to read and I'm constantly, you know, reading from different authors and I definitely enjoy kind of, uh, not even, I, I like to look outside the box because again, I find that that's the, like for me to get to the top, for me to create something different, to do something different than anyone else has ever done before. I feel like I need to take learnings that have happened outside of my sport because generally people are looking with inside the box and they're going to perfect those, but and I feel like I can do that, but I can do more. So it's like, I'm looking in business. I'm looking maybe in yoga. I'm looking in mindfulness practices. I'm anything. I don't know. Like you never know where you're going to find a piece of information that's quite inspiring. And, and it's, I guess I've, what I've learned is the ability to start to relate totally unrelated things to whatever you're doing is what's going to make you great or your process great. Yeah, it's almost pattern recognition that people are really bright people can pattern recognize and myself included, like I'm looking for inspiration every single day and it could be an old lady in the street. It could be the person at the supermarket. It could be my book I'm reading. I love that. And it's like everything is everything. That's what you're saying is like whatever wakes you up and is like, that's cool. We want to follow that. Yeah, I guess I've always kind of (laughs) always 
I've always said like people are some people just kind of go through life unaware I always find awareness is like kind of my key word I'm like there's so much inspiration everywhere like it's not one person it's not one mentor it's like everything you just kind of have to be aware and open to the potential of that learning I guess uh and so many people come in with a story about like who you are who i am we're separate we're different and if we think like that i can't hear you or see you or learn from you what is the why that makes you want to cry the why that makes me want to cry uh, that's an interesting one why that makes me want to cry I don't cry very often. (laughs) (laughs) But to be honest, I guess what I do get emotional about is when I, when I see others able to perform or I guess able to execute on what they've really wanted to do. That to me makes me really happy and I like to see that process, the optimize, all kind of the stuff we've been talking about kind of come to life. It's a special moment when that happens. And yeah, that's me would be sharing that moment with other people and, and, and it, including the community and into what you're doing as an individual is, is, is the why that makes me cry. Uh, oh, we got there. Uh, and, and you're, you're moving your profession. You're going to still ski, but you're moving your profession profession in that direction and it's likely because you've had people like Bebe and all these people in your life that have helped you execute your plan so tell me about your mentorship program what you're up to these days yeah so it's a brand new program that I've been mulling over my head for a long time on how I wanted to present it to people And, and to be honest it kind of started with again the inspiration piece of like being aware is it started with me wanting a mentor. I was like, or thinking that I needed a mentor. You know, I still would, but again, I found mentors in many different places, but I definitely had access to some pretty incredible people, some pretty incredible athletes growing up that I definitely look back now and realize what that access, like how much it progressed me, not only in skiing, but in life, just the ability to ask questions and kind of, be open to maybe listening to them and, and doing some activities with them that, you know, lessons that they've already learned that I can like, Oh, okay. That's why that is why it is or the way it is. So I wanted to create um, this program, this mentorship program. And I've kind of, I've, I've, t- I've titled it uh, chairlift chats just cause I want to keep it super I simple and just kind of fun. Cause I've had, I feel like, you know, sometimes on chairlifts, you have some pretty good conversations if, if you meet some cool people, even in gondolas, whatever. I've met some very interesting people if you're just willing to talk with them. So yeah, chairlift chats and it's, it's just super simple. I want to, I just want to leave it open. There's going to be a curriculum, if you will, I guess, a direction that I want to go with it. But again, it's going to progress much like I'm progressing and every, everything that I'm learning, I'm, I want to be able to pass on. And so this is kind of, the starting point for that and we'll see where we can take it. That is so cool. And I have no doubt you will attain that. So how can people find you? How can people find me? Well, um, catch me if you can on the chairlift, I guess. (laughs) 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 Social media is always a good one. Um, I use Instagram quite a bit. This is my first name, Chris Mahler, or first and last name, Chris Mahler. Um, 
And then, yeah, I mean, more than welcome to, to share my email or my, my cell number. I'll give it to you and you can, I don't know, give show notes or whatever kind of works. Um, but I'm always, I, I'd love to chat with people. It's kind of one of my favorite things to do. I love having different conversations and, and seeing where people come from. So yeah, if anyone ever wants to reach out, line's always open. Uh, if you don't get me on my cell phone, I'm probably off in Europe gallivanting around the Alps trying to win some races, but shoot me an email and I'll, and I'll get back to you as quick as I can. So yeah. Uh, thank you so much. I'm rooting for you. This was so inspiring. Thank you. It was amazing. That was the one and only Chris Mahler. I find him so inspirational and wise beyond his years. It's a nice remembrance that if you are to do what has never been done, there is no handbook. You have to make the rules. You get to make the rules. Until next time, be kind and I love you.